0: Good morning. Pleasure to be here with you. Two of us. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Well, hey, a special honor and thanks today for those of you who are veterans or those of you who are family members with uh, active service men and women, would you raise your hands right now? We want to acknowledge you and say thank you today for your service. All across the room, we are grateful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, some of you have already noticed that I have a bandage on my hand. I have just become all of your grandfathers. You know what he did. Told you about the most recent surgeries and medical procedures every time you saw him. So here I am. I just out front with it. And I have to mention this because uh, I've been told that when I speak, my arms flail like I'm uh, in water and I'm trying to keep from drowning and sometimes... You have noticed that there's a bump on this hand. Uh, It's known by the 200 kids that uh, attend here on a weekend as my beep bump. And some of your kids have come up and they pushed it and it beeps, which is kind of a weird thing for me to talk about because I actually beeped. It sounds like I'm separate from. But if you see any kids today uh, it kind of mourning, a little separation anxiety, they've lost a good friend. The beep bump went away. And I'm a kind enough friend for you that I actually kept a bandage over it because well, I think it looks very cool, It would be more than distracting for some of you today if I showed you the bump. So uh, I'm fine and well, and I have become your grandfather. So I have some grandfatherly advice for you today. As we continue this series called Simple, I don't know about you, but I'm glad this fall we have a series called Simple. Sound refreshing for some of you? Yeah. Thank you, Ann, for kicking us off last week. We have a couple more weeks after today. And today I get to talk about... Simple, spending, spend simply. Scary, isn't it? A preacher that's going to talk about money to a captive audience? You can take a deep breath. I'm I'm here today because I want to give something to you, not take something from you. I want your life to be splicing over with what Jesus came to give each of us, abundant life. And he has an awful lot of stuff to say about money and finances, and we're gonna tap into a little bit of that today. Now, here's the deal. Money is not getting more simple for most of us. Recent survey taken suggests that the majority of adults say that their finances have gotten worse, and the majority of those who say finances have gotten worse, they also say, and more complicated. Now, on the flip side, for those who say their finances are better, they also tend to say, and they've gotten less complicated. How many of you would prefer to be in the second group than the first group today? There we go. So that's where we're headed together. Yeah. Martin Luther, by the way, he's a favorite among Lutherans. How many of you share some Lutheran heritage along with me? Yes, I see those hands. Some of them barely more than fingers that were lifted. That's the way we Lutherans are. That's right. If any of us were refereeing, we certainly wouldn't do it in church, would we? A little finger will do it. Thank you very much, my Lutheran friends. Here's what Martin had to say. There are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Now, I don't think that Martin was after people's money, but I think that he understood that God was after people's hearts. And it's note wording worth... What is that? Worthy. Could you do this for me, Tamara? You were so articulate. It's worth noting that in the Bible, this topic is so important that it's the subject of nearly half of Jesus' parables. In fact, the Bible talks about prayer in 500 verses, talks about faith in just fewer than 500 verses, and talks about money and possessions in over 2,000 verses. 15% of everything Jesus taught that's recorded in the New Testament is about money and possessions, more than his teachings about heaven and hell combined. Apparently, this is really important stuff. Why such an emphasis on money and stuff? Because there is a fundamental connection between spirituality and how we handle money. No more graphically put by Jesus than when he could have chosen all of the other supposed gods in the world. And he chose one of those called Mammon, the God of money and stuff, and said you can't serve both god and you say it with me mammon there's something deeply spiritual both in terms of bondage and liberation when it comes to how we handle money so we're going to read today a story about what it means to be stewards of money and it's about two brothers and Jesus response to them who were fighting over their, uh, the parents' estate, their inheritance. And Jesus t- tells us this, in essence, that when it comes to money, and here's a worldview that, that I have that many of us share, is that God is the owner of everything on earth and beyond. So when it comes to followers of Christ, everything that we own is actually what God owns and He has shared with us to be responsible managers for. So the discovery of what he wants us to do with his stuff is really the topic that we're about today. And what he certainly doesn't want you to do with his stuff is to put yourself in bondage around it. So we read this story of Jesus being asked to arbitrate the brothers. He responds to them with his own story. And notice as I read from Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 15. Then he, Jesus, said to them, the brothers, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I've no place to store my crops. And then he said, ah, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and then I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain stored up, laid up for many years, so take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. Here's the point. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Our topic today is about money, but the goal of the talk is how to be rich toward God. And here's the big idea of this talk how you spend money matters to God. Many of you received uh, outlines on your way in today. Uh, If you didn't either get the opportunity or take one because you didn't want to really fill out the blanks, I encourage you to go ahead and get one because there's some helpful information, including the takeaways from today. And I'm asking ushers right now to make them available, and they are. If you just raise your hand, um, they'll go ahead and give you one. And if you have a Lutheran background, you might have to prop it up with the other hand. A little bit for, there we go. All right, we're all in this thing together. Well, I wanna learn four things with you today about simple spending. The first one is this. It must be values driven. How you spend your money should be a reflection of your values as a Christian who lives under the leadership of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is the leader of all of our life. The gospel, the good news, is that God sent his son Jesus to earth to live a perfect life, model the way, die a death on our behalf, rise again to give forgiveness and give us the power of the Holy Spirit to reconcile us in a relationship with God and to reconcile our broken relationships together and to reconcile our broken lives into his likeness and image, which includes the abundant life of financial freedom. So spending matters because it reflects our values as Christ followers. So here's my first dastardly question. Is your spending influenced more by our culture or by Christ? Now let's unpack that a little bit because the answer is going to be we're somewhere in the middle, and let me explain why. Our culture has taken the big idea of mammon, this god of money and stuff, And has packaged it in a phrase and a worldview we call commercialism. Let me give you a technical definition. Commercialism is a social and economic order and ideology that encourages the acquisition of goods and services in ever greater amounts. So here's the cultural message whatever you have, it's not enough get more and when you're done getting more go ahead and get some more spend what you don't have with the money that you don't with uh, for things you don't need and buy lots more commercialism is expressed in four ideas i think you'll find me in this picture and maybe yourself will sneak in as well The first idea is greed. And by the way, it's coming up on the screen. Would you write, uh, uh, speak out loud with me the words that are in the brackets and quotes together? I want more. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, the deal, of course, with greed is it's never satisfied. Ecclesiastes, it's a book filled with wisdom and wise uh, sayings and Proverbs in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Interesting. So if you let yourself get caught up in the consumptive lifestyle, you can be sure that you will never have enough. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus was warning about when he first spoke to the two brothers in our story in Luke 12. I read it again. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You are not the sum total of your stuff. The second demonstration of consumerism is is discontent. Would you say it with me? I'm tired of this old stuff. Some of you have nieces or nephews or younger brothers or sisters or kids or grandkids and she just comes out of her room and your room, the room is stuffed with toys and games and gadgets and she comes out on the first day of summer and she says what? I'm bored. Yeah. (laughs) I'm discontent because stuff never satisfies. The Bible assumed that and counsels us on a pathway toward contentment. It says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. See, here's the tricky formula. Our own selfishness plus consumerism crammed down our throats regularly through media equals discontent. Our spending often is more under the influence of culture than it is the leading of Jesus. The third one is impulse spending. Would you say it with me? I've got to have it now. Yeah. I am... I can be a world-class impulse spender. I can. I've decided to manage that. So part of the separation of duties in our household, because we're managing my own weakness, is Ann does most of the buying of stuff. Because I can go to the store for milk and find all kinds of things that I didn't know I needed. I could come out of Costco with an air conditioner in January, (laughs) just in case. We might have a heat wave. Don't vote on it, but any impulse spenders out there with me, sure. You go to a store, you know it's designed with just you in mind. Why do I leave with 95 packages of gum on my way out when I came in for a hammer? It was so handy is why it was there, yeah. Impulse spending. Here's the deal. Greed, discontent, impulse spending fuel the consumptive lifestyle. And number four is lifestyle acceleration. I deserve this. I've saved for life. I'm retired I deserve this. I worked hard. I got the promotion. I deserve this. I got the job. I deserve this. I put in extra time. I deserve this. I, I deserve this can lead us down a very discontent path. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. As Christians, we should start by defining Christ-following values and a standard of living that matches with those values. So our first step in spending money wisely is to determine our standard of living. Said another way, we determine our values and goals and priorities, and then we make appropriate plans. Now, I want to mesh with you a little bit. This is not new, but in this month of Thanksgiving, we probably are well-served to be reminded of how grateful we should be. If you think about the world's population, six billion people or so, and you take the top 20% of consumers, the top 20% consumes 70, 70 77% of world consumption. Top 20 consumed 77%. Bottom 20% consumes 1.5%. In other words, A person in the top 20% consumes 50 times more than a person in the bottom 20%. And they are all equally loved by God. And friends, you know where we all land in this room today. The top 20%. Now, I don't think that means that we're to feel guilty about that. But I do think two things. I think we should be very grateful about that And I think in light of this talk today, we should feel tremendous responsibility before God that he has chosen to make you a manager of a way disproportionate amount of his stuff and is looking to you to be a good steward of that. And so we want to ask Jesus how he wants us to live. What would Jesus do in my situation? How would he live with my income? What would he do with it? Questions that help us describe a values-driven standard of living. So that's the first. Simple spending means I'm going to be values-driven. Second, simple standing, it must be planned. How many of you by nature are planners? Proud, raised, hands. How many of you by nature are spontaneous people? Yeah, don't answer this. How many of you are sitting next to a spouse or a partner that raised the other hand? Yeah, I know how that works out. Here we go. All of us have a vested interest in this one. Spending must be planned. So first, after you establish an appropriate standard of living, then you need to have a plan to be able to reach that goal. Planned spending is the opposite of impulse spending. Impulse spending. Plan spending is also called a budget. A budget is a guide. It tells you where to go with your money and stuff, and it tells you when you're off track. It serves you, just like a roadmap does when you're gonna be driving in some unfamiliar territory. It tells you how to get from here to there, and when you're on track, it'll let you know, especially if you have a person that lives in your car as I do. And when I'm off track, she tells me all about that. Very, very helpful. But beyond having a plan for spending, this is amazing. Consumer counselors tell us that people often discover that making a budget frees up 15 to 40% of their disposable income. When we plan, we actually discover where the leaks were. If you have no plan, then you're planning to be an impulsive spender. Listen, if you just change one thing in this season that will radically improve, change your life and set you free, it will be this thing about being a planned spender. And some of you are saying, you know that budget word, that's a bad word to me. It's a four-letter word, even though you spell it with more letters. I don't like that. I've tried that. It's hard for me to do that. I've failed with that. I have some good news for you. You can give yourself a Christmas present By the way, how many of you have already planned your own Christmas presents? Yeah. Audrey, thank you. Yeah. Let me know what you hope I get you and make life simpler. Yeah. I plan way in advance. I impulse buy something that's way too big, and then I tell my family that was actually my birthday present, my Christmas present, my Father's Day present, like the next five years. And then, of course, they don't do that, so it works out really good for me and bad for the budget. Well, I was back to actually... Sounding responsible for a moment, Russell. So here we go, yeah. Your gift for Christmas to yourself or if you're a married person or you and and your spouse, FPU, Financial Peace University fires up in January because this is really big stuff, isn't it? And it's tough to find our own way forward. And Financial Peace University is an opportunity. Many of you have been a part of it, an opportunity for for nine consecutive weeks. We're going to start in about the middle of January and from 7.30 to 8.30 right here at Evergreen, childcare provided uh, if you have kids to go through this program of really discovery and learning together toward financial freedom. In fact, I think there's going to be kind of a, a teaser information meeting the first week of January about the 5th, which is an opportunity to come and kind of check it out. Financial Peace University, it may be just the thing to help you with your planning. Now, I want to mention in this planning deal that I think, I'll see what you think about it as I talk, that there are four things that take priority one, two, three, and four in your spending. I'll see what you think about that. I think, first of all, giving to God goes into the budget. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter three. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Hmm. So, Give to God first. Malachi 3 talks about God expecting us to give the first and, and then He'll increase that. But keeping it, we're robbing Him. And first you give to God, it's not our money anyway. We're stewards of that, it's non negotiable, so we, we give to Him first. The second thing I think is a non negotiable that goes in your budget is taxes. That is a four letter word, isn't it? Yeah. What does God think about taxes anyway? Well, he likes them apparently better than you do because he spoke quite positively about them. You remember what Jesus said when he was asked tax questions? He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And in case we missed the point in the Bible, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in Romans chapter 13, give to everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. Taxes are a priority. Don't take my word for it. Just don't pay them for a while and see who visits. It's a non-negotiable. It's not your money. Item three to put in your spending is debt retirement. You say, well, I might have to retire debt before I retire. Yes, if you're younger, that's probably true. Here we go. Psalm uh, 37 verse 21 says, the wicked borrow and don't repay. So, if you borrow and don't repay, you're stealing from the one you borrowed from. Debt retirement is a priority. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, again, afraid we might miss it, in Romans 13, 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except for the debt of loving one another. So, if you have debts, repay them. Not your money, it's theirs non-negotiable. And then number four, let me throw this one in. It's savings. Now, I know how most people work in our culture. They spend first, and if anything's left over, then they do what? Then they save. How does that work for most people? (laughs) Not not so well. So the savings things first. And I think the Bible is also really interesting and fun and clear about this. In Proverbs chapter six, the Bible tells us to go look at ants the A-N-T-S kind of ants. And to notice how when times are good, that they store up. And then the point is, if even ants know how to do that, maybe we can take a lesson from them as well. In fact, I encourage you to make your savings absolutely automatic. Do it through payroll deduction. Do it through account switching that happens for you. Make a transfer into savings. In fact, I recommend that all four of these items be done automatically, that income comes in automatically, that you give to God, that you pay your taxes, that debt reduction happens, and the savings happens right off the top. And now here's the deal. Once you pay those things, then you have a net. Income minus four equals net. And that's your disposable income. You say, I know I have disposable income. I dispose of it a couple of times a month. I understand. You know what I'm talking about here. This is now the income that's available for you to live on. A standard of living that's under the leadership of Christ and a disposable income figure that's credible within your finances. Because here's the deal. The top four are not negotiable, but how you spend your disposable income is entirely negotiable. And you can choose a standard of living relative to that and live within your means. I mentioned Financial Peace University, January the 5th would be a good place to put in your calendar to come for a check it out meeting. Maybe some of you already know in advance that you're just going to want to launch that starting on January the 19th. It's a great, great way to go on a journey with some other people that are where you are in experience and with some other folks that might be a step or two ahead that will be able to give some helpful advice and cheer you on as you move forward. So we've learned two things today about simple spending. The first is it's value-driven, and second, that it must be planned. The third thing we're learning about simple spending is that it must not be financed by debt. (laughs) Now, listen, let's talk about debt for a minute. The Bible does not prohibit debt. In fact, it places it assumes debt. Debt but it encourages us to be very cautious about debt because of this true principle for everyone that I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's always true. So a bunch of us know what it feels like to be the servant to the lender, especially if we're working off some 16 to 24.99% interest on credit cards. And we know that there's an enslaving feel about that. So here's the deal. If you do have debt, pay it off, don't let it remain outstanding, and then stay out of debt. Now, let me emphasize again, the Bible does not prohibit debt, but it encourages us to be very cautious about it. I understand in our culture, for most of us, we couldn't afford to buy a home. We couldn't afford to finance college education, for example, without making that investment through debt funding. But I encourage you to especially beware of debt in consumer debt or credit card debt. Because debt costs you far more than you think. You buy the item on credit, and then you pay what? It's called interest. And that interest can compound over time. So this is what's happened for a Christ follower. You've taken God's money. He apparently didn't give enough now for that. So you've indebted yourself and now you're going to take God's money and you're going to pay compounding interest. That sounds like a bad deal. But the other part of the downside is that had you saved that money the interest would have compounded for your benefit. So debt's a double whammy. I pay compound interest, I lose the benefit of compound interest on my investment. Ah, Let's, for example, let's imagine that you're going to buy a new car, $32,000, which is kind of roughly uh, an average price for a new car, unless you really want a new Lamborghini like I do, and then that would skew the averages up. By the way, for Christmas, that would work. Audrey, I don't know what was on your list, but there we go. Okay, $32,000 car. Here's the deal. You're going to finance it. You're going to do it on a loan. And so you're going to have a 4% interest, and you're going to pay mm, $500 a month over 72 months. That's kind of how that would work out. Here's the deal. So you buy your car, and six years later, you have you have a used car. That's what you have. So let's just play with this for a minute. Let's imagine that you would have taken the $500 a month over the 72 months and you would have invested it, let's say at 7% for those six years. You would have $45,000. Now let's imagine that you're a lot younger than I am and you have a 30-year investment horizon. If you just left the money there at 7% at the end of 35 years, you'd have over half a million dollars instead of that used car. And if you had 9% interest, it would be well over a million. Hmm. So if you're young enough, you could fund your retirement by not buying the new car. Hmm. Interesting. Well, let's move on because that just makes me feel bad because I'm too old to do that. (laughs) And maybe I want a new car and maybe you're saying, well, I don't have $32,000 to go out and buy a new car. So don't. Buy something else. I like new cars. We've bought new cars. Every time we bought a new car and we left the lot, it was a used car. I understand that as well. Nothing against used new cars here. But, well, you know that Ann and I just kind of live life with you, right, and out loud. So you always get a story or two, don't you? Ready for a lame story from Jared? Yeah, here you go. You know that you have to say yes, and if you don't, I'll do it anyway. We had a season before we had kids called the disposable car era. And I had a buddy that would come uh, up to the Portland area here to a wholesale car auction, and uh, he would buy us a car when ours stopped running. And he knew that the maximum budget was $50. One day he called me kind of apologetically, and he said, Jared, there's a really sweet car here, but I think you're going to have to spend 75 So I reluctantly agreed to that. And so he'd bring the car home and we would drive it until it wouldn't work any longer. And then we would get the new disposable car, new to us anyway. Now, once we had kids, I was a little more safety conscious. By the way, I totally own this story and had nothing to do with it. She just tolerated me, okay? All right. mm. oh, when the kids were uh, showed up, I thought, you know, we need to be more responsible. And so the new budget was $500, which was astounding to me. Now Bob's cost more than $500. That astounds me too. Any Bob people out here? Did this crowd just get really old on me? I think so. Okay. So we had a couple of Chevy Citations. Any of you remember Chevy Citations? Yeah? Yeah. Hmm? yeah. Had two of those, $500 cars. And my boss said to me one day, if those ever become classics, you are really set up. Yeah. They did not become classics. The green citation had a couple of problems. Uh, the door on the writer's side wouldn't open from the inside, so I had to jump out if I was driving and go around and open the door, which was kind of chivalrous and cute when Ann was over there. But one day, uh, I was to pick up an executive at the airport and take him to the office, and my boss saw me back at the office run around and open the door, and he knew it was because my old car didn't work. And the boss actually said to me, if you buy a new car, I'll give you, and it was several thousand dollars. So here's the moral of the story. Drive junk and maybe somebody will be embarrassed enough to give you money. Well, God works in mysterious ways. Why can't I say? True story. Yeah. So our friends, the Kiesel Horse, were missionaries in Nigeria. And they came home to Bend, uh, Oregon for the summer. Very hot summer. Hot summer. Hottest summer on record. 100 degrees in August. And they bar- need to borrow a car. And I said, "Will we have a citation fleet. We'd be glad to share one with us. And they got the green, they got the green citation. Now, the citation had another problem, and that's that once in a while, all by itself, the windshield wipers would go on high speed. I've told you this story. Some of you know. not yeah. So here's this family. They're driving around Bend, and it's a hot summer. Of course, the air conditioning doesn't work. The windows are down. The nine-year-old twin boys are in the car with their mom. The windshield wipers are going on. Those boys just hit the floorboards in fear that somebody would see them, that knew them. Yeah. Horrible what's the point? I'm not sure. They're just fun stories to tell. And if you haven't heard them before, you got to hear them this morning. Here's the deal. Ann and I were not proud of the fact that when our kids went to a fine, rather well-to-do Christian high school in Los Angeles, that their car was awarded the ugliest car in the lot award. Yeah. Hmm? This was not a badge of courage. But I'll tell you, it did confirm for our kids a conviction of their parents when it came to living within one's means. We make decisions and we move forward with those in a way that we hope is Christ-honoring. So just a couple of pieces of advice about the credit thing. If you're finding yourself stuck in some credit and you don't want to be there, this is really simple advice. I'm glad you're seated because this is going to blow you away. Are you ready? Number one, stop it. Yeah, just stop using it. It's really hard to get out of credit if you keep going into credit. So that's just an excellent place to start right there. And I know uh, that means some of you are going to have plastic surgery this week. It's not the kind that I had. It's the kind that happens when you reach into your purse or your billfold and you take out some of that plastic and just get rid of some of the stuff and then don't get new ones to fill in behind. The second thing, I'm glad you're seated. This is brilliant. Start. Start start systematically paying debt off. One of the things that you'll discover in Financial Peace University, and Dave Ramsey calls it the snowball effect, and it's just, it's practically and psychologically very effective. You just take your creditors, you pay everybody a minimum because you want to demonstrate good faith, and then you take the smallest bill and you pay it off, and then you add that amount to the next uh, uh, smallest bill and you pay that off, and the snowball effect is you work your way through those until you find Take a deep breath. The freedom of being financially free. Wow. So, we mentioned that there were three or four things that we wanted to learn today. Simple spending must be values-driven. As a Christ follower, choose a standard of living. Second, simple spending must be planned. If you don't plan, you'll plan to be impulse. And third, simple spending must not be financed by debt. I mentioned there were four things that I wanted to learn with you. And the fourth one is just seven top tips about how to be financially free. Let's take a quick look at those. We'll wrap things up. Number one, keep no or at most one credit card. Dump the rest. You'll save a bundle in annual fees. You'll rid yourself of umpteen bills and solicitations. You'll have everything there if you do use a credit card on one statement once a month. And if you do use the credit card, pay it off at the end of every month in full. Number two, pay your bills online. Your bank, your credit cards, uh, your credit union, wherever your banking institution is, has made it Possible for you to set up almost all of your financial transactions automatically and in the process keep track for you of your spending, which makes your budgeting and review even easier. Set up your evergreen giving online and make it automatic. Number three, choose one financial institution if you can and you won't be able to for many of your uh, major purchases potentially, But to the degree that you can bundle some of your regular services together, you may find an efficiency with that. You may cut down on statements. You may have a better picture of your finances. The next tip, automate everything. Not just the first four that we talked about, but automate direct deposits into your account and and, uh, your savings and your paying and your bills and your creditors. Set it up automatically. The next, get overdraft protection. One way some of you do that is to have a small savings account that's linked to a checking account, or maybe you have another checking account that's even less expensive than a savings account now, and an automatic transfer between the two, because you know what it's like when someone else makes a mistake and you bounce a check. That's not a good deal for everyone. Create an emergency fund. You know what they say, three to six months of uh, expenses in case something unexpected happens and you say, I'd, uh, I'd only love to do that, but how can I start? Well, you can start with simple savings. You can start with $100 a month and five months you'll be at $500. And that covers many uh, home-based, small, unexpected expenses. And as you keep adding to it over time, you'll end up with that account. And last and final, pay God and yourself first. Hmm. Simple spending, it really matters because it matters to God. I still find it astounding that the Bible has four times the number of verses that talk about money and things than it does about prayer or faith. I think God knew us. I think he knew how difficult it would be for us to be truly spiritually free people in the kind of consumeristic culture and environment that we live, and how courageous people would need to be to move their way in a countercultural way of thinking about money and stuff, to live under the leadership and lordship of Jesus, and to live in a way that helps them and others be financially free. I love the very last phrase that we read in Jesus' story to the two brothers. He said, only fools store up earthly wealth, but do not have a rich relationship with God. I know this talk today may have sounded an awful lot like a personal finance seminar. But this talk today was all about having a rich relationship with God. And that's why you came today, to have a rich relationship with God. And how you think about and how you handle money is inseparably linked to the quality of that relationship. Well, as Ann did last week, and as uh, she and Lydia will do as this um, series continues, I get to give you three participation challenges. Was that the word? Thank you. I'm looking over here to Tamara because she is spot on today. And so find yourself uh, in one of these challenges and maybe choose which one God is leading you toward this week. The first one has to do with sell. You can sell some stuff and you can give the money to a meaty friend or maybe to the food bank on the way in. This week and last, you received the opportunity for a food bag with a, a shopping list on it there that you'll be bringing back. It will be distributed for the holidays through our food bank Maybe you'll take this, the earnings from what you sell and give it to the Evergreen Benevolence Fund, which uh, often uh, around the holidays is particularly used. Notice down on number three, you can cut your Christmas budget by 10% and you can give that money toward purchasing the Christmas bag of gifts that we give each year to our precariously housed students throughout the Hillsborough School Districts. Or maybe you'll land at number two this week by skipping a favorite treat for a weekend, paying off a little debt or doing a little bit of savings. Now, I've used the word there as I wrap it up, little, but I don't know that it really is. This is kind of fun. You've heard about the latte challenge, haven't you? Yeah. So if you buy a latte once a day, just your little treat because I deserve it. By the way, I like Americano, so I'd drink lattes if I could. A latte a day, let's assume that it's $4. That ends up after a while being kind of a big deal. About $44,000 in 30 years. Now, if you've invested that and get 7% while you're saving your latte denial, it's $150,000 in 30 years. That's a latte of money. (laughs) A bad, bad joke. But wait, there's more and it's worse. Yes. I, because I, I, deal, I struggle with weight and uh, every day I work on it. Either I work on it by behaving... Uh, by not adding to it or by reducing it or I work on it by adding to it. You understand, I work on my weight every day. So I'm always interested in translating stuff not only into money but into pounds. Are you ready for this? This is what your latte will do and it is a latte. Here you go. Your pumpkin spice grande whole with whip latte once a day for the next 30 years translated to pounds is 1,314 pounds right there. So, I was going to talk to Marley, but she didn't come out. Marley, I'm talking to you. So, as you take a look... By the way, that timing was really bad. I was talking about lattes, and then I called Marley. Please forgive me. This week, as you think and pray your way forward... And you look at these three kind of simple goofy kinds of deals would you see a big heading it's not there but imaginary heading rich relationship with god he cares about how you use his stuff and as 20 percenters we have a lot of responsibility to be good carers and managers of his stuff let's pray God, thank you for being so practical. You made us so you know how we work and don't. You live with us so you know what we need to learn in here to follow you. You know where our lives are broken and we need to be changed and healed. And today, Lord, you've been doing all of the above. Would you help us be free, women and men and students and families? Would you help us take our next steps forward not just because it's the mature and responsible thing to be financially free, but because somehow it's very spiritual. Help us honor you in how we do our spending. In Jesus' name, amen.